Welcome back to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogers, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're continuing our series, Masterclass, where we're considering how we can apply the stories of Jesus' earthly ministry to our own lives. As we head into chapter three of the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see what it means to be a part of the family of believers. Following Jesus brings unity among God's people. So let's listen in now and hear more about Jesus' teachings. Well, let me again say Happy Mother's Day to all of you guys. Happy Mother's Day to all of our grandmas in the room. And so I feel really blessed today because my wife and mother-in-law are here in the front row. So I want to wish them a Happy Mother's Day. You are two of the three best mothers that I know, including my mom. And you two are top one, two, and three for me. So I'm just so thankful for you guys and love you dearly. And I'm crying at the top of the message already. So um, I... Is anybody in the room that would have the courage to say they're a rule follower? Anybody that likes to follow rules? Okay, this is what I love about rule followers because I'm with you. We proudly raise our hands because we're like, he told me to raise my hand if I'm a rule follower. <laughs> yes, sir. I am a rule follower. Now, for those of us that are rule followers, this is kind of how we live our life. We are proud to be rule followers because we find great joy in things being in order. We don't like chaos. We like things to make sense. We don't want there to be any unknown variables. We kind of like a spreadsheet as clear as anything can possibly be is going to be good for us. And then there's those of you who are rule breakers, and I'm not going to make you raise your hand because you probably wouldn't anyway. And what you guys kind of live your life uh, like is everything's just a suggestion. You see lots of rules and you think to yourself, they really can't mean that we have to drive 70 miles per hour on the interstate. I'm sure that's just a suggested speed. And I'm sure that there's multiple ways for us to go about doing this. I know that people have worked 20 plus years in coming up with this system, but in seven minutes, I have figured out a better solution or a better plan. And that is where some of you guys are. Why do I have to follow that policy? I know that you said this is it, A plus B equals C, but I want to insert, you know, variable J in there or whatever the case might be. And, I, and regardless of which kind of camp you're in, I'm sure that you can identify with kind of a little bit of both. And now, reality is that even those of us who are pretty staunch rule followers, I'm pretty safe to say that most of us can attest to the fact that lots of rules are just silly, aren't they? I mean, lots of regulations are just silly. In fact, every time I find myself standing in a line of any sort that's more than 20 people deep that's not moving very quickly, I think to myself, there's some inefficiency here. There's something that we can do better in this moment, whether it's getting your license renewed or waiting, you know, at an amusement park or whatever the case might be. I think to myself, there's got to be a better plan of action. But as we continue our series this morning called Masterclass, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. I want you to hold on to that line of thinking. Because if you hold on to that line of thinking, what you're going to see here in just a little bit in Mark chapter 3 is that Jesus has some pretty interesting words to say to a group of people that are all about rules that are all about regulations and that are all about these restrictions that we place up on people. And the reality is that Jesus is going to show us here in just a little bit that sometimes if we think life is all about rules, if we think life is all about religion, then we miss precisely what it is that God wants to do in our life. If we're all about, you know, what, checking this list opposed to living in grace and mercy and forgiveness of what Jesus has done for us, then if that's kind of our course of action, then there might be some takeaways for us this morning. There might be something that Jesus wants to teach us. Now, for those of you who are here with us for the very first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for saying yes to whoever invited you. Thank you to inviting someone to be with you today. And we have found ourselves in the third week of this Gospel of Mark. And Mark chronologically falls as the second of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. It was actually written first, though. So it's the earliest of the Gospels. It's the shortest of the Gospels. 
It was written by a guy named John Mark, and it doesn't have as many details as some of the other Gospels do, but at the heart of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus, hence the word gospel. And so what we've been doing in this series and what we're going to continue to do in this series is look at the life of Jesus, look at some of the miracles of Jesus, and ultimately say, what is it that you want to show us, God, as a result of understanding, maybe at a way that we never have before, who the person of Jesus is and what does that mean for my life today? So we're going to start, though, back a little bit in Mark chapter 2 because Mark chapter 2, kind of the end of Mark chapter 2 just kind of very seamlessly goes right into chapter 3. And so I want to start back at Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and then I'm going to read all the way through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. You can hop on your mobile device, follow along with me, and some of those are actually printed there for you in your worship guide as well. So if you'll go with me to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Continuing on in chapter 3, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed that their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we're only three chapters into the book of Mark, and you see this really dogged determination of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day who were constantly keeping their eyes on Jesus. Every move he made, there is this religious elite who were trying to follow Jesus. They were always trying to catch him up on something. And ultimately, a word that I would use to describe the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the first century is they were rule followers. Rule followers to the nth degree, so much so that they found great joy in adhering to all of the Old Testament laws, even though Jesus had said, I am the fulfillment of the law. I didn't come to abolish the law, but they came at life with a kind of a a point of view that said, I want to hold everybody to the standard of these Old Testament laws. Now, there were 600 plus Old Testament laws that they knew forward and backwards. They were I mean, creme de la creme, experts in the Old Testament law. And sometimes these laws were just really bizarre. I mean, when you actually go read about some of the Sabbath laws, I mean, a couple of them particularly uh, on a Sabbath day, which is what they're actually offended about what Jesus is doing here. He's He's healing people. He's providing food for people on the Sabbath day. They took major offense to that because you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Now, you could do a little bit on the Sabbath. You couldn't just carry anything with your hands. So you couldn't carry anything with your right hand. You couldn't carry anything with your left hand. You could carry something with your foot, though. I mean, because that makes a lot of sense, right? You could also carry something with your ear. This is legit. I'm not making this up. You could carry something with your hair. So, you know, don't dare pick up a piece of grain in the grain field. But if you could connect it to your ear somehow, you wouldn't be breaking the Old Testament law. And in these two instances, what did Jesus do? He was going through the grain fields with his disciples, and he began to pick grain, and he didn't use his ear. He used his hands to pick up these 
grains. And the Pharisees come out of nowhere crying, unlawful, unlawful. Fast forward into chapter 3. Jesus is in the synagogue. There's a man with a shriveled hand. He doesn't have the use of his hand. The religious leaders watch to see if Jesus will heal this man on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? He instructs the man to stand up and in front of everyone, which is a pretty good indicator he's getting ready to perform a miracle here, in front of everyone, he restores the man. And in doing so, he poses a question to the Pharisees. And he says, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? To do good or to do evil? And Jesus is so distressed by the Pharisees that they don't get his mission, that they don't get that Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. He heals them in full sight, and the Pharisees decide, we've got to kill this guy now. That's how staunch of a rule-following group that they were. So now what were the Pharisees missing, particularly when it came to Sabbath? Because they were really offended about the way that Jesus was navigating through this Sabbath day. So what was it that was offensive to them? And what they realized, and you see this here on your notes, and it's, it's true for us today as it was for them. Sabbath is a gift, not a chore. Okay? Sabbath is a gift, not a chore. No one likes chores. Everyone loves gifts, right? I mean, on this Mother's Day, I hope that you're not making anybody in your house do chores and you're bringing them gifts. So, I mean, but regardless, we like gifts. We don't like chores. Go back to chapter 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, this is Jesus to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus is saying Sabbath is a gift to you. It's not a chore. It is a gift to you. And he's saying to the religious elite, you're missing the point as to why God instituted Sabbath in the first place. Because they saw Sabbath as this really arduous day where you didn't do anything except go around and find people who are breaking rules on the Sabbath. So you're not actually going to help anyone on the Sabbath. You're just going to point out everything that everybody else is doing wrong. They missed that it was a gift from God. To take a day to refrain from working, to rest, to recharge. And in this particular case, if that meant meeting the need of someone, then Jesus said, I'm willing to do that, to connect with God. And I would venture to say that here in some, you know, 2,000 years later, that some of us are probably missing it as well. We probably don't see the value in Sabbath like we should because, see, this was God's design for our life. It was God's design. It was engraved in stone. Literally, in the Ten Commandments, that you and I would remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what does that practically mean for us? It means that we are to work six days, and on the seventh day, we are to take a day of rest. That you are not to feel bad about refreshment. That you're not to feel bad about recharging. What would your life look like if you actually did this? What would your life look like if you actually said, you know what, I'm going to take one of the seven days, and I'm going to just kind of be still? Because... There's rest that's there, and there's peace that's there. But you and I try to find it in other ways. If I were to ask you right now, how do you find rest in your life, you might give me you know, a list of answers. You might say, oh, it takes a spa day, or I have to go to the golf course, or we've got a vacation coming up in eight months, you know, whatever the case might be, or some retail therapy, you know, I, whatever it is. Like, that's what I need for some refreshment in our life. And all those things are fine and well. But God's original design for our lives was as follows. Work, 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 rest. Rinse and repeat. Work, 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 rest. Do I need to say it one more time? Work, 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 rest. I love to work hard. And I know that many of you love to work hard. I love to get up early, love to stay up late. Nothing wrong with working 
But the reality is, it was never God's design that we just work nonstop. It's a gift that he has given us, not a chore. I used to struggle with this a lot, much, a lot more significantly than I do now because early on in my life, I, I was around people who were successful and I was kind of saying that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And sometimes if you're honest, you would think to yourself, I can't really ever take a moment for refreshment because the world looks at that as weakness. Whereas God says it's strength. God says it's actually stronger when you follow my design. And so I give you full permission. Take a day off. In fact, you should be taking one off every week. Go on vacation, set your out of office message, and just come back. And don't check it while you're on vacation because what you're going to realize of what happens is a lot of the stuff that you were really stressed about, somebody else already figured out for you while you were gone. And it's not even relevant anymore. And you can stress yourself about it, and then you come back and you realize, well, they actually answered that five days ago. And so it's God's design. It's not something I have to do, but it's something that God gives me for my benefit and for his glory. But the religious leaders did not see it that way. They got lost in all of the rules. And instead of seeing the value of who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do and what God had sent him for, they saw Sabbath as a chore, as something that man was made for. And yet God said, no, this was made for you. Because what was happening in the heart of Pharisees is they were much more concerned about the rules and the regulations than they were the person of Jesus. They were trying to adhere to all of these Old Testament laws. And Jesus comes in their midst and says, I am the fulfillment of all of that law. He says, in fact, in Scripture, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came as the fulfillment of the law. And you might recall from last week, they didn't recognize Jesus' authority because he did, not, he did not register with them and to them as the Messiah, as God. He just registered to them as another religious leader. But because he was God and is God, then he can be trusted with all things and he is to be followed. And we are to see that his precedent is for us to not burn the candle at both ends, but rather to have moments of being recharged and refreshed. But yet they were clinging to all the rules. And the very one who came to fulfill the law to show them a better way was in their midst. Jesus, on the other hand, though, he was concerned with his disciples because his disciples were hungry. And he was concerned with the man who needed healing because his, his, his lack of inability to, to, to have use of his hand was obviously preventing him from living a full life. But be advised, just like the Pharisees, you and I today can kind of fall under this, um, under this uh, pray to this if we're not careful. You see it here on your screen. But if you put rules over people, a hardening of your heart will tend to follow. I see some head shaking because maybe you realize, yeah, I had a season in my life when I was just all about all the regulations and I kind of decreased in my love for people. If you put rules over people, a hardening of your heart will follow. And listen to what Jesus says in verse five. He looked around at them, or what it, particularly the, the, what, what's happening here with Jesus. He looked around at them, and that's the Pharisees, and in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. When Jesus looked at the religious leaders, he referred to them as stubborn. Now, that word stubborn, if you go back to the original Greek language, it literally means calloused, that they had a very calloused heart. They had a heart that had turned to stone. And instead of their heart breaking for the needs of people, instead of their heart being moved to, to compassion for other people, their hearts were calloused. And their hearts were not life-giving, so to speak. There's always going to be a real temptation in our life to put rules over people. Sometimes at church, if we're not careful, we can say, you know what, I want everybody to belong at church, but I just want you to behave a certain way before you can belong here. 
If people ask you in the community, what is Rolling Hills Community Church like? I'm going to give you a talking point. You can say, this is a place where people belong. Now, we'll work on behavior modification secondly. Because are all of us a work in progress? This means yes. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. Are there sin in our life that we need to move away from? Absolutely. Will we ever... Will we ever refuse to, to help someone understand that their life of sin leads them to death and eternal separation from God, but a life of freedom and grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, leads them to life? Will we ever shy away from that truth? No. Our sermon series two times ago was about the seven deadly sins, where we're helping us realize that sin is what separates us from God. But will we ever operate a ministry in the way that says, you have to behave a certain way before you ever can belong here? No. Why? Because that was not Jesus' model of ministry. Jesus put a table, prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. He prepared a table for the tax collectors. He prepared a table for the sinners. So if it was good enough for Jesus, I think it's good enough for us to say, you know what? You belong and you have a place here. And if there's areas of your life, if there's sin in your life that we need to work through, that we need to move through, then praise God, we will do that. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that this morning at our 11 o'clock service. You may have noticed that the tub is full back here. We're going to be celebrating baptism with Danielle. She's going to be baptized by her sister, Tricia. And it's a beautiful picture of a young lady who says, I do not want to live my life for the world anymore. I want to move away from sin in my life. And I want to be identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who does the changing, and he uses you and I to be conduits of that mercy and grace. That's what he's calling us to as disciples, and that's what he was calling his earliest disciples to. In fact, that was the backdrop. The backdrop for Jesus' call on the earliest disciples was that there was this really religious group that were trying to bring meaning and fulfillment and following a bunch of rules, and Jesus says, now I show you, and I have for you a better way. Go back with me to the text of verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him, them, him who, those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then it goes on to specifically list Jesus' 12 original disciples. So what's happening here is Jesus is going from house to house. Jesus is going from lake to lake. And everywhere he goes, he draws a crowd a crowd, so much so you might recall from last week, there is a group of friends who are trying to bring their buddy to get healing from Jesus, but the room was so crowded that they had to dig through the ceiling of this person's house so that they could lower their buddy in through the ceiling of the house. That was the kind of spectacle, so to speak, that many came to see when Jesus was involved. And the reality is the crowds were there for lots of different reasons. Some of the crowd was there because it was a spectacle to them. They were just spectators. They wanted to see what Jesus was doing. And then there were people who were in need of healing, and they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. And then there were the Pharisees who were always buying a ticket to see what Jesus was going to do because they wanted to criticize him. And they wanted to find ways to kind of put a bounty on his head so that he could be put to death, so to speak. But then there was his followers. And there 
those who he was calling to follow him. And the Gospel of Mark shows us something really, really interesting here, and it's, he does it side by side. He shows us that Jesus not only drew a crowd, but quickly after this crowd, the crowd that was following him in verse 7, we transition to verse 13, and he goes up on a mountainside, and he calls to them those that he has appointed to follow him, his disciples, if you will. So a lot of people showed up to be a spectator, but Jesus says, I have a calling on those of you who want to be my disciples. And just like the first century, just like the first century, you see it here on your screen, just like the first century, you can be a part of the crowd or you can be a disciple. You can be a part of the crowd or you can be a disciple. Now, I love crowds. I'm weird in that way. People are probably like, seriously? Oh, I love a crowd. You know, a party with 10 people is awesome, but a party with 20 is even better. You know, why have 100 people in a room when there can be 200 people in the room? You know, why not fill up Bridgestone Arena? I mean, if we can fill it to the, to the max, let's, let's do it. Because I just love being around people. And as a result of that, I love sporting events of all types. I love the energy. I don't even care if I like the sport or not. I just invite me. I'll, I'll go. I love the excitement behind it. But have you ever noticed that when you go to sporting events that crowds know everything? I mean, you can be in the 300 level. You can be in the rafters of the building, the top row of the stadium, and you can be calling like a foul. Or you can be like offsides, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, completely ignorant of the fact that there's someone right on the field and you don't trust him or her. But you'll trust your judgment from, you know, several hundred yards away. Every time I go to a sporting event, I realize, though, there's a big difference between being a spectator and being the person on the field. There's a big difference between being a spectator and one of the players on the field. There could be 23,000 people in an arena to watch a basketball game. There can be 70,000 plus people in a stadium to watch a football game. There can be tens of people on the sideline watching your kid's t-ball game, whatever the case might be. But there is a huge difference between being the guy sitting there with a tub of popcorn, spectating, versus being out on the field. And what is Jesus inviting you and I to? Jesus is saying, I want you on the field. I don't want you to be a spectator. I want you to be involved. It's what it means to be a disciple. It's why he's saying you can be a part of the crowd or you can be a disciple. And that call that he placed on the disciples is the same call that he places on our lives today. He calls us to follow him, to deny ourselves daily, to take up our cross and to follow him. But it's easier to be a spectator, isn't it? It's easier to call the shots while everyone else is out on the field seeking to fulfill what it is that God has called them to do. And so here at Rolling Hills, I hope that you'll take those steps to say, you know what, I know, God, that you want me to be involved in this work. You've heard about it once already this morning. Maybe next week you'd want to come to partnership class and just learn a little bit more about what it means to be a, a partner, a member here at Rolling Hills Community Church. That happens at 11 o'clock next Sunday. Or maybe it's baptism, what we're going to celebrate today when you say, I want to take that next step. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't want us to just stay as a part of the crowd, but yet he wants us to be involved in his mission, to go out as his disciples. But this is what you need to be aware of. If you're going to say yes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, things in your life are going to change. It means that the way that you've lived, there might be some radical adjustments. 
It means the things that you were passionate about, those things may have to change. It certainly means that there's probably going to be some sin in our life, some things in our life that we're going to have to say, you know, I don't want to leave by the wayside and leave that baggage so that I can follow Jesus fully. And it also means that Jesus is going to set a different agenda for our life. And he's going to show us that our life is not to be about us anymore. It's not to be about a pursuit of the almighty dollar. It's not to be about just power and influence, but rather it's about being humble and serving him in and through all things. But in addition to that, you have to be aware that not everybody's going to understand this call that God has placed upon your life. Not everybody's going to be near as excited for your pursuit of discipleship as you may be. And the same was true of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself was very misunderstood. Go with me back to Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And this is a bad crowd. I mean, if I'm ever in a crowd and I'm hungry and there's so many people there that I can't eat, that is not a room that I want to be in anymore. So they can't even eat. But when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. This is really not going very well for Jesus in this moment because his own family thought he was out of his mind. So if your family thinks that it's a little silly what you're doing, you're in good company, okay? If your family thinks, I don't understand what they're doing, why they're pursuing Jesus, then know that Jesus' own family didn't understand fully quite yet what he had come to do. And then, of course, there were the religious leaders who were already wanting to kill him. And so they add up on top of that, he also seems to be possessed by the devil. What does that mean for us today? You see it here on your screen. It means that the world may misunderstand Jesus, but it doesn't diminish who he is. The world may misunderstand Jesus, but it does not diminish who he is. Don't let the fact that it's unpopular in the world right now to be a follower of Jesus prevent you from being a growing disciple of Jesus. Don't let the fact that right now, if you were to bring up the name of Jesus at your workplace, that you might get some really strange looks or that you might get someone who thinks you're just, you know, silly in that. Don't allow that to prevent you from realizing, even though the world doesn't understand what I'm doing or who I'm following or who I'm following in discipleship. It doesn't diminish who Jesus is because the very religious leaders who should have understand who Jesus is, they wanted to kill him because they didn't trust or see his authority. Have you ever been in a, a, maybe a concert? I, I, I love to go to concerts as well, and I've been to some really great concerts in my life. I think probably the best one that I've ever been to, and I've seen him now three or four times, is Garth Brooks. I'm a big fan of uh, 90s country music, if you didn't know. Um, and, um, and it's just amazing. I mean, it's just one of the best shows you'll ever see. And, there's, and maybe for you, it's, I don't know, U2 or the Eagles or, or somebody else. But I want you to imagine you're at a concert that you're just having a grand old time. And you love it. It's like the artist of choice that you want to see. And I want you to imagine for a second that you're sitting there and you're belting at the top of your lungs and having just an awesome time. And there's a guy sitting in front of you that's not enjoying the show. Okay? In fact, the whole arena is standing and he's sitting there in his chair like this. Okay? And because you're a super fan, you tap him on the shoulder and you say, I've never done this, by the way. So you, 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 you say, Sir, you don't seem to be having a very good time. Can I help you? And he turns around and says, yeah, I thought that the show would be a lot better than it actually was. You know, I'm really not that big a fan. Um, you know, I bought the tickets and I was hoping to be a little bit more impressed than I am right now. I don't understand why all you guys are talking about having friends in low places. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I'm just not enjoying the show. My question is, 
would your experience at that show be ruined because of that guy? No. In fact, you're probably going to sing louder <laughs> because he's not having a good time. And so you're saying what? I'm going to make him appreciate this or enjoy this. Of course, it's not going to ruin your experience. You're probably just going to say, you know what? He's here. He has a right to be here. He's not enjoying it as much as I am. You know, here comes the dance. And now we're going to start crying. You know, whatever the case might be. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Jesus, sometimes we look at the crowd and we say, you know, the world doesn't really follow Jesus like I do. And when I talk about the name of Jesus in my workplace, I get some really, really strange looks. So I think that I'm kind of misunderstood about that. So I'm just going to kind of rest and be still. Or maybe when I bring up the name of Jesus in my family and when I talk about speaking the name of Jesus like you've heard this morning, it's not met with as much joy and as excitement as I wanted it to, so I'm not sure that I'm going to talk about it anymore. In fact, don't let the fact that others may not understand you prevent you from continuing to share the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. Will the world understand your call to discipleship? No. They may not get it. They may never get it, but it doesn't diminish the fact that Jesus changed your life and he wants you to share about him. And he wants you to point other people to him. He wants you to be an active participant in the work of discipleship, an active member, an active person that's not just a spectator, but someone who says, I want to live out the calling of Jesus. It doesn't matter how popular it might be. It doesn't matter whether or not it's going to be appreciated. It doesn't matter if culture at large will put a stamp of approval on what it is that I'm seeking to do, but that you would say, I want to be passionate about Jesus Christ, who God sent to die for my sin and to die for the sin of the world. And I cannot help but go proclaim and share his name with others. The world may not get it, but it doesn't diminish the fact that God still invites us into the game and still invites us to not just be a spectator. I want to close today by looking at verse 31 through 34. So then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now nothing says happy mother's day like Jesus saying, who is my mother? Uh, your mother and brothers are here. Who's my mother? You know, I mean, happy Mother's Day, ladies. I mean, I, it, well, Jesus knew who his mother was. He knew who his earthly mother was. What he's doing here is he's making a point to the early disciples and to those who are hearing that once you follow a call to Jesus, the same call that he puts in front of us today, when you follow and say yes to that call of Jesus, you become brothers and sisters. You become part of his family. You become a member of the family of God. And so I want to close today with this. It's only through Jesus that I become a part of the family of God. It's through Jesus that I become a part of the family of God. What you're a part of right now is, is family. The word church in the Greek language doesn't refer to a building. It refers to the ecclesia, the gathering, the community of believers, the family that God is assembling here in Nolensville, Tennessee, to be on mission to proclaim his good news to this world and if you're not a part of the family of God, my hope and my prayer is that you would say, today, I want that. I want to grow in that. I don't want to just be a spectator. And so I want to share with you today how you can do that and why Jesus died so that you could have life. You don't have to have it all together. 
You don't have to be perfect. In fact, Jesus died for you in your state of imperfection. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. And that sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. And you have eternal security knowing that when you die, you spend an eternity with Jesus. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And if you've yet to experience that, let us know about that today. You can make a note of that on the card that you want to talk to someone about that. You can stick around after the service and come up here and pray with one of our staff, one of our prayer team members. Or you can reach out to us this week, or you can just let us know, hey, I'm on this journey. I'm seeking to be who it is I know that God has called me to be. But can someone help me in that journey? And so if that's where you are this morning, I pray that you would take those steps. In fact, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to give you a chance to respond to this this morning. And we're going to close with a song, and um, maybe you're not experiencing what we're talking about, and you want that. And so in this moment of response, maybe you just simply pray and say, God, I want um, that relationship with you. Or maybe you've been searching um, and you've yet to find, you've, you've, you've sought for meaning and life and hope and all the ways of this world, and they've really disappointed you. Maybe today would be the day when your heart changes and you say, I don't I want to follow the ways of the world anymore, but I want to follow you, Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're just broken. And the weight of this world, maybe the weight of this day, the stressors, the anxieties, the, the baggage that you're carrying in your life, it seems so overwhelming right now. Maybe today would be the day when you say, God, I want you to carry that for me. Or maybe life is going well, and you just need to continue to put a stake in the ground to say, God, I want to celebrate your goodness. I want to celebrate what you have done. I want to be thankful for the things that you have brought into my life, and I want to seek to proclaim those even more boldly, even more passionately to the world at large. So God, find us faithful today. We're thankful for who you are. We're grateful, God, for your goodness. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die so that we could have life. And our hope and our prayer is that, God, with all of our days, we would live not as a spectator, but as a participant, a disciple, actively engaged with your mission here in Nolensville, Tennessee and around this globe. So God, I pray that you would work right now in the hearts of people, bring people to you, soften their hearts, help hearts of stone be turned to hearts of life and freedom and peace. If there's something, God, that you want to do in our life, we invite you in. Have free reign to work in whatever way it is that you see fit. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.